Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 non-stop destination for A's baseball. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the All-Star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Welcome to another edition of A's Unfiltered. Today we're going to have Dave Stewart, A's legend, A's Hall of Famer, the former All-Star Bip Roberts, and Susan Slusser will say goodbye as the A's beat writer as she is now covering the Giants for the San Francisco Chronicle. But we're going to start with a guy who, let's face it, what a career. A three-time World Series champion, an All-Star, a World Series MVP, two-time ALCS MVP. He won the Roberto Clemente Award. He led the American League in wins, pitched a no-hitter, and as we said, he's in the A's Hall of Fame. Always great to catch up with Dave Stewart. Dave, how you doing? It's Chris Townsend with the Oakland A's. Hey, Chris, how are you? I'm doing great. I was just talking about... You know, you, you talk about a baseball life, everything that you've done from a, a World Series champion to a pitching coach to a GM to an agent. I mean, w- when you sit back and you, and you do television now, I mean, you've basically done everything in the game. When you, when you look at your career, I mean, it, it's pretty amazing all the different jobs that you've had inside our sport. I've done quite a bit, um, that's for sure. And, but, you know, that, that, that just goes along with just being really, really blessed um, in the sport, you know, having good, good, good communication, contact and relationships within the sport. And, you know, without stroking myself on the back, being a good citizen and being able to be hireable by, by the people that, that run the game, I've been real fortunate in that way. You know, I, I think about you, you coming up with the Dodgers, and unfortunately, we lost Tommy Lasorda, one of the great managers of all time, and he was a star manager. Uh, we lost him at ninety-three years old. What were your what, what when you look back? What what are your thoughts on Tommy Lasorda? And what was it like to play for him? <laughs> it was uh, quite frankly, when when I started out in the game, um, he was the first major league manager that I ever had. Um, I came up in the Dodger system and having an opportunity to play for Tommy, I learned a lot. Um, I learned about playing baseball, as they put it, the Dodgers way, which I thought was a solid foundation for learning the game, the fundamentals of the game, playing the game the right way. 
Um, but I also learned that there's no fun in the game unless you're winning. Um, and so when when we as Dodgers were coming up in the game and, and playing the game, um, it's just crazy that, you know, a lot of people, they think that, you know, it's just a baseball game, but it's not just a baseball game. It's, it's, it's when you're playing a game and, you, and you're, and you're winning baseball or you're winning baseball games, um, that's more fun than, than losing baseball games. I've been on teams that lost a hundred games with the Texas Rangers back to back years. And I can tell you this, it's not fun going to the ballpark. It's not fun looking to looking forward to the next day of playing. And so, um, that was one of the key fundamentals that I learned uh, with Tommy and, you know, and then the other pieces are just being able to motivate players to play the game every day um, at every position, strong communication that he had with us as players. Um, it was, it, it, it allowed me to measure other managers that I played for and what level they need to be at because Tommy was one of the best that I'd ever played for. And, and I was trying to tell the fans, you know, like back in the day when, you know, he, he'd walk onto the field at Candlestick Park and everybody's booing him and he's blowing kisses into the stands at Giants fans. I mean, he was, he was, you know, larger than life. You know, he was a small guy. He was like a rock star manager. And I don't think we really, I don't think we have managers like that. No, we didn't. I mean, I tell you what, when I was in the, when I was in the Dodgers clubhouse, which once again, it was one of the first clubhouse I'd ever been in, um, you know, to, to come in our clubhouse and be in our dugout. Um, and we're talking early eighties. And so some of the youngsters out there may not even, even know about these people, but you know, to walk in your dugout, you've got Don Rickles in there or Frank Sinatra, you know, you got uh, Tony Tennille and the captain of Tennille or Diana, Diana Keaton or Sammy Davis. When you walk in your clubhouse and you see those those people in your clubhouse, um, it, it's just unbelievable and it's a great feeling. These guys are sitting in his in his in his office after the game, sharing you know pasta and you know listening to the laughter and you know actually understanding that they are in the acting field and they're in the top of their field, but they're admiring us admiring us as players. Um, it, it, it was just he was a celebrity manager that's what that 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 might be an understatement well and i'll tell you the the one story that i thought was one of the coolest stories that that i've ever heard is when when you brought up that you learned your great split finger fastball from you know sandy koufax i i was like wow i mean you talk about star studded the great sandy koufax that had just just the fact that you had him as a coach had to be amazing Sandy Koufax, oh, man. he was he was the the difference for me um, in in having a, a successful career, quite frankly, and I owe that to him. Um, I I was a I was a player that was moved from the catching position to a to a pitcher, and when I um, made that transition, uh, the first two years I didn't win a win a baseball game. Um, the the Dodgers kept bringing me to to instructional league. In my second year of instructional league, Sandy Koufax was there, and um, he worked with me and helped me to understand 
how to get in touch with my delivery and in touch with my body and knowing where my arm slot was. And um, he was the, I mean, he was just great for me um, as a young player. And it didn't stop in, in 1977 Instructional League. It continued throughout my big league uh, period of time uh, with the Dodgers, especially. And I'd get calls from him every now and then. Um, when I was with Texas and with the A's. And so he was a huge influence on. on... You know, when I think of Sandy Koufax, I mean, uh, you can talk to it. I mean, he's so, for his greatness, he's so humble. Talk about what it was like just to have that kind of relationship with a guy that we could consider truly one of the greatest guys who have ever pitched in this game. I, I don't know that there's any any words for being able to sit down at the breakfast table with him in the mornings at Dodger Town or to be able to sit down with him at dinner time at Dodger Town or for that matter leave Dodger Town and, and go to one of the places in Vero and just have a one on one with him when I was having problems and trouble and and you're right, he's a very, very private person very quiet person, but one of the most knowledgeable people that I've ever talked to about not just baseball, but a lot of things, sports in general. You know, he's a a huge basketball fan, college basketball fan in general, but huge um, basketball fan. Talk to him about, if you wanted to talk to him about politics, which he didn't like to get into very much of that, he can talk to you about that. He was just a great, great person and conversationalist. when it came to multiple topics. You know, I, uh, we got the national championship game tonight between Alabama and Ohio state. And I think back to your career, you had a, you had a boatload of scholarships to play college football. What do you think it would have been like for Dave Stewart to go on and play football? (laughs) You know, when I graduated from high school, that was a five foot, 10, 190 pounds kid and I had no idea that I'd you know grow to be 6'2 and and eventually be 240-250 pounds Um, what I can tell you is that there was a a lot of anger in me when I got on the football field and I loved to hit I was a a linebacker uh, defensively and I played offensively as a tight end Um, but I love the defensive end of it I I love hitting I love love the action of, of, of being in my position and kind of freelancing out there. And, and, um, you know, it would, I, I couldn't honestly tell you how I would have performed, you know, at the college level, um, or for that matter, if I would have become a professional, but I can tell you this, um, I played that game with just as much intensity as I did baseball. Oh, 6'2", 240, you would have been perfect at linebacker. <laughs> That's the perfect spot. You know, uh, I remember, you know, when we were when we were picking colleges, though, and it's tough to even imagine yourself. You know, I'm a 5'9", 190-pound kid going around and visiting some of the biggest colleges in, in, in the country. And when you're 5'9", and you're looking at guys 6'3", 6'4", 280, um, I just could not imagine myself being on a football field. And that was the difference in me going on to college to play football versus uh, accepting the offer of, from the Dodgers uh, after the draft. 
You know, I've been thinking about Tony LaRusa, and I know how close you are with Tony. And, you know, some people have said, is he going to be able to relate with the players? And I look back and go, you know what? Tony LaRusa, your, your guys' A's team in the late 80s, early 90s, I mean, you guys were rock stars. And when, when I think about that team, I mean, if Tony LaRusa can manage Jose Canseco and Ricky Henderson, I think, I think he can deal with the modern-day player today. You know, I've tried to tell people that over and over again. And, you know, when he took this job, people were wondering, well, you know, how is he going to be able to manage these guys? And, oh, he won't be able to manage these guys. And when you can manage, like you said, Jose Canseco, I mean, Dave Parker, though, a great teammate, and quite frankly, uh, was a guy that checked his checked his, his, his personality at the door or ego at the door, I should say. When you can manage guys like that um, and the different personalities on our team, you can manage anybody and you're going to be successful because quite frankly, what players, res- what players respect is winning attitude and being able to help them understand how to win. And there was no one better than, than Tony at, at, at being able to do that. You know, I think for, for, for our younger audience, I don't think they realize how big the personalities were in the late eighties and how big, I mean, you guys, you know, Jose Canseco is coming out of Madonna's apartment in New York and Manhattan. I mean, you guys, you guys, you were one of the real first celebrity baseball teams. Just kind of educate our young fans of what that was like to be around guys are making $4 million for the first time. I mean, it was a, you were a star studded group. You, you know, I don't think anybody can even imagine. Um, you know, our team, we we played the game so well, and 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 the attitudes and the the athleticism, just the guys that we had on our team, opposing teams used to used to stay out to watch us do bat and practice. Um, and, and, you know, walking through our hotel, getting off our team bus, it got to a point that we had to come in through the back entrances of our hotel, um, so that we didn't get mobbed in the hotel lobbies. Um, we were a, a group and, you know, quite frankly, because you were living it, you just figured that that's what it was about at that time. We, we just, we really did. We just felt that this is what it's all about. Um, but. Um, it was unbelievable um, the attention that that the Oakland ha- that the Oakland A's had in the mid '80s and going into the '90s. I want you to put your uh, agent hat on because we got, I mean, we got over 270 free agents right now. It's it's January. These guys haven't signed. What advice would you give to free agents in this you know crazy time that we're in with this pandemic? Uh, I mean, you've just got to, in this crazy time, you've got to, you've got to keep yourself, you got to keep yourself as well prepared as you can. It's a difficult thing to do because it's a, it's a boring atmosphere to not know when you got to show up or when you're going to have to show up. And what's even worse is you're not going to know what to expect once you get there. I mean, so 
the key to this game anyway is being mentally prepared to do your job. It's not this game is talent. There's no doubt about it. You have to play this game uh, with with a with a great deal of talent, but the mental aptitude and having that mental edge is what makes you successful in this game. And so what I would do through this period of time is, is read as much as you can on the mental portion of the game, but also prepare yourself mentally to be able to do what you have to do when the time comes. Would you look at a scenario where, let's say if you're young enough where you just go, you know what, I'm just going to sign a one-year deal and hopefully when we get to 2022, we're back to normal. I wish it was that simple. <laughs> yeah, cause I, I, I mean, I feel I, I think at some point we're going to see a bunch of guys come off the board. I mean, because at some point there's going to be spring training, but it's just it's it's got to be very frustrating as a free agent to be sitting here in January without a job. You know what, though, the free agents should be they should be by all right used to what's what's going on here, because free agents, the free agent market. It's it's been different for a while, and and the top tier guys were getting signed and were were being were being uh, moved on, you know. But you're looking at a period of time now where players were they were waiting until you know almost spring training, and some weren't being signed until spring training. Um, so I don't know that that you you should look at this period of time in any in, in, a, in a different way i mean what may take place and we saw a, a, a little bit of a sign of it earlier is that guys are doing one-year deals um because in a short season it's tough to really grasp what your value is and so to do a one-year deal and then come back next year um i expect to see a lot of that in this market once again you're going to have some top tier tier guys that are going to sign multi-year deals for some pretty good money, but I'm expecting to see a lot of one-year deals and a lot of late signings. But the late signings, in my opinion, are usual for the the temperament of baseball today. You know, let's end on this, uh, and I don't think that this 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 club and now the Toronto Blue Jays are talking about spending a lot of money, and they got you know they got a bunch of kids on their ball club. Their, their dads were, were big leaguers and great players. But the team that you played on, the Toronto Blue Jays, is truly the talent. It's one of the best teams we've ever seen. And and I don't think that team really gets credit when we talk about great teams of all time. Um, I'm sorry, I missed that. You don't what we we don't what? I, I the, the, the Toronto Blue Jays teams that you played on, I think, and I'm remembering back, one of the great teams of all time, and it really doesn't get that credit. Well, you know, the, the 93 team, I mean, we were, we were a really, really good team. I mean, we had, we had Robbie Alomar, Paul Olerud, I mean, uh, John Olerud and Paul Molitor were the one, two and three hitters in, in the American league, which tell me when you're going to see that again. Um, you know, Joe Carter, who in my opinion is a hall of famer, never missed an opportunity to drive in a run from third base. Um, and had, I think it was 10 straight 100 RBI seasons. Um, tell me when you're going to see that again. And then when you, you think about, you know, a staff that, that included Jack Morris. I mean, Jack Morris was, was an unbelievable competitor in his time. He's a Hall of Famer now. 
Uh, Pat Hinton was a rookie that year, and he eventually went on to win a Cy Young. Stottlemyre, myself, and Juan Guzman. Um, we had uh, John Henke and Dwayne Ward on the back end of our bullpen, not to mention Danny Cox as a setup guy. I mean, that team could very well compete, in my opinion, with some of our, our great A's teams. If you pick, pick the best A's team, uh, that team could probably compete with that team. Yeah, so it, the 93 Blues Jays team was, in my opinion, it was loaded. And then in 92, they won a championship. I wasn't a part of that team. I tried to keep them from winning a championship. But the 92-93 uh, Blue Jay teams were great baseball teams. Hey, it, it is always an honor to have you on the program. We, we, we appreciate your time. Stay safe down in San Diego, and we'll talk soon. Thank you for having me on. Take care, Chris. If there was a big game, nobody was better than Oakland's own Dave Stewart. Speaking of Oakland's own, one of my favorite players all time, you see him on NBC Sports California doing A's pre- and post-game live, the former All-Star, our buddy, Bip Roberts. Bipster, how are you? Wow, Tony, how am I, man? It, 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 first, let me say it, it's good to hear your voice. Um, just, man, I've just been numb all day, man. I'm just, you know, that news with Hank passing today, it kind of shook me a little bit. So I feel great now, but I, it's just been a long day, man. It's just talking to so many people and wow. I mean, I, I think I knew right when it happened. And from that time on, just to hear and see what's going on out here. It's just amazing, man. Just amazing. What an amazing icon. Wow, man. So I'm just like, uh, all day it's been raining here in the Bay. So, I mean, you know, so it's been, wow. It's just been, wow. Everything is Hank right now, man. It's like, wow, you lose Hank and then lose Joe. So it's like, wow, I know I'm rambling on, but it's just been crazy in the world of baseball as far as losing our heroes, that guys we looked up to as kids. So. Yeah, it's it's been very disturbing. I mean, we understand people get older and we're going to celebrate their lives. But the amount of Hall of Famers that have passed, you know, like it was like Tom Seaver, Don Sutton. I mean, we've had so many, as you mentioned, Joe, and we just interviewed Joe last year when we were going over the 72 World Series. So it wasn't that long ago we got a chance to interview him. It's just, it's so disturbing, Bick, how many of these great, iconic baseball players have passed so fast and all together. You know, I've I, I kind of been looking at it saying, you know, I'm a baseball player, former player, and I, I see they had longevity in life. And then I'm saying, okay, I, I'll take what they had. if I could get to that point. So I look at it as a blessing to say, these guys, again, are showing us the way. Um, you know, it's amazing to have been a former player and to know and to be, to be able to, sh- sh- you know, had a handshake with all of these guys and to have conversation with them. And, you know, they were some real good people, man. And, 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 and I know they were some real, you know, in their own lives, they were great people because I know a lot of people looked up to them. And, you know, when I heard Sutton pass this week, I was like, wow, man, I, I really like Don Sutton. I did, you know, and, Again, these are some of my favorite people. They were my favorite players, like when I was growing up. So it's just been tough when I see one of my baseball cards go down. You know, these are these are my guys, and I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, Tom. Yeah. Well, you know, Bip, I, 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 
you know, you you and I were too young for Jackie Robinson before he passed away. But I think as a young African American ball player, uh, the guys that you looked up to, you know, when you start talking about Willie Mays and you start talking about uh, Hank Aaron and you mentioned Joe Morgan and you know all the great players that came out of Oakland. I mean, I can totally understand how, how this shakes you because. I mean, you looked up to these guys. They were your inspiration. They they were the guys that gave you hope that made you believe you could do this for a living. You, you know, you're right. Um, <laughs> we like you said earlier. We people get older, and we know that they're gonna. We all eventually gonna we're gonna we're gonna pass over. But you're never ready for it. So it, when it happens, it's tough. And then you you start to to, to think about how important that person was to you. And you're absolutely correct when you say, without guys like Henry Aaron coming from the Negro League, being that link after Jackie to, to solidify a spot and, under, and have people understand that, you know, we were equal, if not better, ball players than, than any athletes in the world. And these guys were, they were pioneers. They were icons. They were the thread of what um, belief was all about. And we can get this done. We can do this. It's been done, and it's and and we've been shown how to do it. And and it took a lot of strength back then. You're gonna get three thousand hate letters a day. You know, you, you better be strong. And 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 Hank was one of those guys who he was a solid uh, steel link between uh, you know the the. the the Negro leagues and the big leagues. So, you know, we owe him a lot of debt. I owe him a lot of thank yous and gratitude because, you know, it, it took a lot back then. And he still played and he did extremely well, even though those things were going on off the field. So we talk about civil rights leaders and things like that. You know, uh, Muhammad Ali and Jim Brown, Kareem, and so many others have stepped out in the front and, and, and Hank Aaron was right there with them. You know, we talk about Bill Russell and so many guys who at that time, they, they were showing us the way. And then it was in the fifties and sixties. So you now we're in 2021, but we can't forget about what these guys did. You know, each one of them had their own struggles. And I think about for Hank, who integrated the South Atlantic League, I can't imagine what that was like. I mean, you dealt with it in your career. Can you even imagine what these guys dealt with back in those days, especially guys growing up in the South? You know, I I couldn't. Um, I know my grandfather took my uncles and my mom and everybody out of the South for fear of not what they would do to him, but what he would do to them. And so when a lot of the migration came from the South to the West, people thought they got away from that until they go back into the systematic racism that exists. And, and I think that we all in time have had situations that have come up where we've had to deal with that in itself. And I can just, the time that I was called the N-word was here in San Francisco after plans doing a Giants telecast at uh, Willie Mays Plaza. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I couldn't believe it, County, really. I really couldn't believe it at that time. And that was in 2010, 12, somewhere at that time. 
Really? So you think about it. Oh, man. We were on set, Tommy. I, I never told this story. Go I ahead. I never told this story. I never told this story. Um, because you know me. You know me. You know how I am. And so, you know, I don't, I don't be tripping on none of that stuff that's going on out there. But this day, we were doing the World Series pregame. And we were all on set. We were on air. And we had a break. And in between that break, there was a guy standing behind myself. And I think in between me and Greg Popper. And he was smoking a cigarette. And one of the uh, set managers, she came back and she went to tell him, hey, you can't smoke. And he hit her hand. And so, you know, I'm looking back at what's going on because it's down behind me. And he says, what is the N-word going to do? And he says it just as loud and as bold and as proud as he could. And uh, as I get ready to react to whatever was about to happen, I think Papa and Flannery says, we're about to go back on in five seconds, four, three, two, and boom, one, I got to go back to being normal as a, and act as if nothing happened. And this guy disappeared into the crowd. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, you think of all the places you played, minor leagues, big leagues. Uh, I think the last place you think that would have happened to you was post-career while doing television in San Francisco. In San Francisco. So when you say what they went through, Tony, ooh, man, come on, man. I, if you had to be special, you, you really had to be still to be able to take that and perform, knowing that everybody, these people, hate you for no reason and they're 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 able to voice that opinion either at the park or through letters and mail that come to your locker so you always feel as if you're probably on the edge and you know you can get old quick you know a lot of you know hank lived a long time you know jackie passed early you know hank lived a long time you know and so you think like wow everything he went through did that have something to do with lifespan and for some guys, it does, you know, and the stress is tough. But thank God we had guys like Hank Aaron to, um, you know, show us the way. Yeah, and that's what always takes me back to. I appreciate what Major League Baseball does for Jackie Robinson. And I wish they would do more because it, it, it I don't want to say it's lazy. It's just like, oh, we're just going to always honor Jackie. It's like, well, wait a minute. A guy did the exact same thing not long after Jackie named Larry Doby, who did it in the American League and went through everything that Jackie Robinson did not too long after. And I think if we went around to a lot of young Major League Baseball players and said, OK, you know, Jackie Robinson, he did it in the National League. Who did it in the American League? I bet well over 90 percent guys couldn't even tell you who Larry Doby is. Yeah, you know, you, you might be correct on that. Um, I, I think right now, when you when you, you you talk to these young players, I think their history is starting to come before them right now. As you see, the guys that are passing, and they they want to know who these guys are. So I, I think that you know, even though we have sadness when our guys are passing when they pass, they have a legacy that they've left. And then you have to sit and you have to read it and then you have to respect it because you know how tough it was. So I, I just think that everything that's happened has been so different 
but life comes and life goes. But I think that with the information that now you get to read and see who people really are, you have more of appreciation for what they've done. So I, I think when you, you, you go back to what Major League Baseball did last year, and they had the commercial and had all the African-American brothers doing a commercial, I think these guys are, 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 are burning the right path to, to that understanding of their history. And, and I think they're making a change. Things are starting to change, in my opinion, as to the love of the game in our communities again. And I think it's because these guys, they're doing a great job in their communities. And I see it all the time online. I see a lot of guys, former and current players, still doing a lot of things in their communities. And the excitement is there. And now, you know, again, when you lose somebody like Hank and you tie it all in to what these guys are teaching in their communities, it, it gives you strength and it gives you courage to understand that you can do it too. Because I think a lot of kids have been afraid to play baseball based on how they, they've been treated and the economics of it and the, um, the ability to have places to play. But a lot of guys are now in the communities and, and they're, they're changing that. So I think today is a, a great day to learn who a great, a tremendous man, Tony, think about it, man, his, his, his numbers, his numbers are just so great that even if he didn't hit the home runs, he would, and they took away all his home runs, he'd still have 3,000 hits. He'd still be a great player with RBIs and run scored on base percentage, doubles. And he could have been a switch hitter. He was such a great athlete. Now we get to uh, really understand who Hank Aaron was. I've been trying to stress this all day. And Bip, you and I have talked about this in the past about, yeah, you hated to strike out. Bip Roberts never wanted to strike out. You look at <laughs> Hank Aaron. I mean, you take away, you know, you, you take away bonds. I mean, he has the most home runs. He's got the most RBIs. He's got the most total bases. And it's just crazy to think, other than Pete Rose and Ty Cobb, he's got the third most hits. I mean, this one, this guy was an offensive machine. Yeah, wow, Connie. You know, as like I said, I think I got phone calls from around the country at a certain time early this morning. And, you know, people started telling stories. And you started listening. And you started hearing things. And you started hearing about, wait, he was supposed to be a switch hitter. And you think about how he hit with his hands up in the wrong position from the right side of play. Cross-handed, yeah. <laughs> Cross-handed. And you go, well, wait a minute. You know, well, huh? And you just, again, you start hearing stories. And these stories are true. And he'd say, how did you overcome? And, and you were that good? And it, when you look at his highlights when he was young, man, he had some speed. And he had the strongest hands and wrists that you'd ever seen. And he didn't swing up through the ball with this, uh, you know, this this ability to try to get under it and drive it with all this this stuff that's going on these days. He hit down through the baseball with a short, compact swing, and he made contact, stayed inside the ball, and he drove it. That has worked since baseball was invented. <laughs> we got some smart guys that want to change the game, but the greats—that's how they did it. And Hank was. Wow, there was no better player. I mean, we know we we talk about Willie being the greatest player ever with the I mean, uh, you know, with 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 so many other guys' names being there, and you know, it was always Willie and 
and and Hank, you know, is it Hank and Willie, is it Willie and Hank, you know, but wow, what two great ball players from the Negro Leagues that uh, they just they just killed it in the big leagues. So what a what a, what a day, man! What a day. You taught kids uh, for a long time how to hit. And I think of two guys. I think of Aaron and I think of Clemente. They were both mm-hmm. front foot hitters. I You would never teach that. But ha- I mean, you got to have extreme bat speed. You got to have strong hands, strong wrist. I mean, you wouldn't teach a bit, but those two guys hitting off their front foot. I mean, you look at the videos, you go, yeah, you would never want to teach a kid how to hit like that. Well, I mean, now you, you got to get that front foot down and you got to keep the hands back. And I think they were extraordinary with weight shift, you know, before their time. Um, guys couldn't do that now. But again, man, these guys, they swung bigger bats. They they were pitched inside. They, when they got their pitch, they didn't miss it. You know, and I think with Hammer and uh, and Roberto, the ability to get that front foot on that front side and stay back and then see it and drive it. That, that's just extraordinary. Not, not everybody can hit that way. And, and, and everybody doesn't hit the same way. You see what I mean? To get to a certain part of contact, you all have to get weight shift to get through the baseball. And it doesn't matter how you do it. It's that, it's that you get there and have no strong wrist, strong backside. I mean, Man, these guys are big and Hall of Famers. Yeah, and then I, I think for Hank, what he did, Bip, after his career, so much. He's still working with the Braves, around the minor league system, but so much for Hank was helping people and really helping kids with his Chasing the Dream Foundation, where, mm-hmm. you know, whether you wanted an academic scholarship, you want a dance guy, whatever kind of, you know, how he could help these kids down there in the South. I mean, it just shows you where so many people are about themselves and their brand. That's not who this man was. This man was truly going to use his platform to help other people live their dreams. Yeah. He's like that, that Mount Rushmore where you, you, you should be on that Mount Rushmore where, because he came from a time where, even though so many people just despised what he was doing, he's ready to break the most hollowed record in all of sports. And he still thought about helping others and, and always did that. Never, never let that leave his spirit. And, and I think that's what makes him so special that you couldn't break it. If Hank had an idea of what it needed to be, he was going to do it. But he also knew how to make sure he was the proper mentor and he's mentored so many and i think a lot of us have watched you know when he talked to dusty baker <clears throat> dusty said that's the greatest man he's ever known greatest person he's ever known and and he's always come across that you know we're playing with the padres and going to play against the braves we always had a chance to meet him and shake hands and you know that group he and the stargills and all those guys the mazes and the mccoveys and that whole group, I've had the opportunity, the pleasure to meet them all. And they all have qualities that are the same. And the one quality that always stick out was the quality of giving and how they always reached back to help us young players. And it was just, 
they were seamless. Not even like you knew they were trying to help you, but they were there for you. Just, just a generation, ooh, and and we're losing them. And every day, once one passes, it's just like wow, it's another punch in in the heart. Hmm. Mobile, Alabama, at that time, wasn't a very big place. And look at all the players they produced. Hall of Famers, Henry Aaron, Willie McCovey, uh, Billy Williams, Ozzie Smith, even Satchel Paige. I, it's crazy <laughs> to think all these names that came out of Mobile, Alabama. Wow. It is. It's almost like uh, if you went across America, there's certain cities you could stop in and you could find you 10, 15 ball players. <laughs> But then you'd go for another thousand miles and you couldn't find a ball player. They would all be in one area, like, you know, like, like mining for gold, you know, and, and, and it, it was always these cities where people either migrate or they didn't leave. And you think about, man, Burnett, wow, the history of that. It's the history of it. it it's, it's, it's baseball. It, it really is. And I, I'm so glad that MLB has acknowledged the old Negro League and giving these guys their just dues because, you know, they put a lot of these cities on the map too, you know? So I think it's uh, it's an honor that MLB finally said, you know what, these guys are worthy of that because we all knew that when you look at uh, what Hammer and, you know, uh, Jackie and so many guys after them have done we all we all knew that that's how it's supposed to be. Just had to prove it. Hey, how's the uh, how's the real estate business going for you, man? I'm man. I am oof, starting to get pretty busy, which is good, man. Which is good. Ooh, boy. You know, I got into it a couple years ago. Had to figure it out for a year. Tried some things that didn't work. Now the things that I'm doing are really working. Starting to get listings and a lot of clients who are happy with what what's going on and. Um, it, it's it's finally looking good, man. It's, it's something that I have a lot of fun doing, working out here with Intero out here in uh, Milpitas, and I uh, look forward to it every day. Now it gives me an opportunity to go into the office and, and then get out in the field. And with this COVID, you know, because you can't, there's so many things you can do and you can't do. It's it's fun to learn how to do these uh, these things online, how to do video and and have uh, people look at homes without leaving their home. So, county, I've, I've gotten into an area here that I never thought I'd get in after playing ball, but uh, having a lot of fun doing it. So I need more. I need more clients. You know, we all need more clients. I, I like to stay as busy as possible. So I got well, room to help hey, a few hey, more hey, people. My, my wife teaches in Milpitas. You know I can help you out. <laughs> hey, you know, I uh, – you know, I got into it, man, to help someone out. And then that person uh, ended up having an issue that took them away from it anyway. But, Tony, I hadn't taken a test, man. When I first started this, I hadn't taken a test since college. And, you know, I was, I'm in my 50s. So it, I thought the old brain was done. But the old brain was able to pass the first time, my man. <laughs> well, it, it, for people who want to get in contact with you, what's the best way for them to uh, reach out to you? Uh, they can catch me at broberts at intero.com. And it'll be my email. Email me, and uh, I'll, I'll definitely get back to you ASAP. 
You are the best, my friend. Be safe. We'll talk soon. All right, man. My pleasure. You take care. Bip's getting into real estate. Out of boy. Good for him. You know, a, a definite blow to the A's family as it was announced Susan Slusser is going to be leaving the A's beat after all these years and going to now be covering the Giants. So we had to have her on one last time for her to say goodbye to you A's fans. She's just going across the bay. She'll always still come on the program. But now she covers the San Francisco Giants. Here's Susan. Well, I think anybody who listens to this program or listens to me on 95.7 The Game or all the different radio stations we've been on over the years with the A's, uh, what Susan has meant uh, to us. You know, my, my, my kids, she's a big inspiration. I, I have twin girls who are now 15, and, you know, Stanford, where my kids want to go, good luck. Um, but uh, a Stanford grad, so intelligent, a pioneer, I mean, what she has meant to all of us. You, you got to remember, we're, we're kind of like a little family. We see each other every day during the baseball season, uh, at home at least. And I, I remember on my birthday, her husband, Dan, who works for The Athletic now, um, on my birthday in Japan, I had dinner with, with Susan, Dan, her husband, and Ken Korak in Japan. I mean, we're a little family. And it's, we're not losing a family member. They're just kind of, they're, they're just moving across town. And, you know, that's the thing about, you know, it's not like she's going to New York or she's going to Chicago or Milwaukee or Texas or wherever. She's just going to the Giants. She's still going to be a friend of the program. We're still going to have her on. But I know how much she means to you. You know, in a world where we don't trust journalism anymore, which is very, very sad, and in a world where journalism has turned into hot takes, that's what it is. People don't do news anymore. They do hot takes. That's not Susan. Susan is a journalist. Susan's going to give you the real, and she does her research. She has her relationships. She knows front offices. She knows scouts. She knows agents. And that's why she has broke so much news over the years. And we're going to miss her. And we want to bring her on one last time as, you know, from here on out, she'll be a Giants beat writer. So we want to bring her on one last time to say goodbye to you, the Ace fan base. She loves you and you love her. Here is. Susan Slusser from the San Francisco Chronicle. Susan, I got to tell you, when, when you told me the news, I was shocked. Uh, obviously, what you mean to the A's fan base for all these years and the relationship you built up with this fan base and the team, I know I know means so much for you. But uh, more importantly, this is a great career move for you. Congratulations. Well, thanks, Tony. I mean, it's it's really, really bittersweet, as I, I know you know. I've absolutely loved covering the A's, and I've been so extraordinarily lucky to be able to do so for so long. I was thinking about it, and the number of beat writers from other outlets covering the A's at that time, it's got to be more than 20 people. So uh, usually change is pretty frequent in this business. I, I'm just super fortunate that, that I did get to cover a team that I really enjoyed covering for so long and that was so good and, you know, the A's officials have all been fantastic to me over the years. The A's fan base has just been phenomenal. They're still phenomenal. I thought people were going to be really harsh, especially on social media. And it's actually been 
99.9% so positive and supportive. Uh, so I can't, I really can't thank people enough, but it's weird. It's going to be weird. 23 years on one team. I haven't covered another team full time since I covered the Rangers in 95, 96. So it'll be kind of an adjustment, but you know, they say you need some new challenges every now and then, and this will be a challenge. You know, the same thing happened to me. I mean, I essentially started 95-7 the game, and I was there for years. And then at some point I realized, you know, there's got to be more to life than just doing talk radio. I needed a change, and that's why I came to work for the A's full time. And I think for you, just as a professional, you can always be proud of what you've done with the A's. But at some point, you need a challenge. You need something different. And I think this is, you know, kind of what it was for me. It's going to be the same for you. Yeah. Typically, people don't stay on the baseball beat that long anymore. Uh, it's uh, sort of my generation, a little bit older, people that are sort of lifers. And even among them, you know, there are a lot of Hall of Fame baseball writers that have bounced around from team to team. So it's pretty unusual. And the fact that Henry Schulman was covering the Giants that whole time for our same paper, John Shea, our national writer. I mean, between the three of us, it's just decades and decades and decades of really strong experience and good work. And, and I couldn't be proud of it. And I'm so sorry to see Henry go because he's just the best. Uh, but I will do my best to fill in well. And Matt Kawahara will be on the A's beat full time. He had, he was last year. We covered, we had two on both teams, as you know, last year. And Matt is fantastic. I have never worked with anybody who works as hard as Matt Kawahara. I don't think he took a day off. And that was starting when I broke my ankle in spring training he had to go to spring training for the rest of the whole time, which he was not anticipating, obviously. And there was the pandemic to cover out of nowhere, right in the middle of that. And he wound up being there longer and in weird circumstances. And I really, I honestly don't think he took a day off the entire rest of the way. So A's fans are in really good hands with Matt Kawahara. He is fantastic and he will be on top of it and he will be, um, you know, great to deal with for everybody, I promise. Yeah, I mean, to speak what uh, you're talking about, how people normally don't stay in one spot for a long time. We've kind of been really lucky with what we've had here in the Bay Area with what, you know, the Chronicle ha has allowed for that. I remember at spring training, it was Bob Melvin in the dugout. Bob and I were talking. Ken Rosenthal comes up. I, I didn't realize that when Bob was with the Orioles, you had Tim Kirchin, you had Ken Rosenthal, and I think Buster Olney showed up at some point in Baltimore. And all three of these guys who are national guys were all on the beat. So the fact that you guys have all been in one spot with the Chronicle, one team has been pretty amazing. But I think the thing for you, and I'll let you speak to this, that's really going to be tough for you is that bond and that relationship that you've developed over the, over the years with the A's fans as they've come to know and trust you when they wanted the news and they wanted it real and they wanted breaking, they went to you. And I think that's going to be tough. You leaving that bond, because I know that bond between you and the fans is very, very special. Yeah. It's hard for me too. Um, you know, it's one of the good things about social media. I spent a lot of time complaining about social media because it kind of turned our jobs into basically 24 seven at times it feels like, but I've actually gotten to know fans. Uh, and before in the old days, before social media, you know, you get some emails or some letters, or maybe you might bump into people here and there. Um, but it was just not on the order that it is now. And Twitter especially has actually brought me friends who are A's fans. Uh, and I really treasure that. Uh, the, the fan base has just been 
so great to me. And I keep telling people, look, I'm not going very far. You can always find me on social media. People can reach out to me anytime. I'm not, I'm really not going anywhere. I'm still working at the same paper. I'll still have all the same social media handles, all of that. Uh, and you know what, County? Everyone always winds up back in Oakland eventually. So I just figure down the line, it's, it's going to happen. You know, it'll be, I'll be like Freddie Anderson or Jed Lowry or Sandy Alderson <laughs> or something. I'll, I'll, I'll be back someday. Don't compare yourself to Brett Anderson, please. <laughs> I'm not as funny as he is. Uh, well, I'm yeah, more more athletic, maybe, but not as funny. <laughs> you probably are a better, better fielder than he is. <laughs> it's possible. And I was yeah. a catcher, so probably not really. And you, you know, the thing that uh, really works in your favor, too, is, you know, Farhan Zaidi is someone you've known for a long, long time. So it's not like you have to go relearn an entire organization and no one knows who you are. You're stepping into a job. They all know who you are. You've been over there so many times and you have a relationship with Farhan. Yeah. I know tons of people over there, obviously from, from all my many years in the Bay area, even some, some people going back way before I even covered baseball here. I, I covered the San Jose lasers when Shane Adam, who's uh, in the giants uh, executive sort of branch, she was the lasers PR person. So uh, it's, I have lots of established relationships all, you know, with people there and I really like them a lot. Uh, so that's great. And, you know, I'm still talking to the same agents, same scouts and all of that kind of stuff. But, you know, I, I don't think I've met, except for maybe in group interviews, anyone on their 40 man roster at all, but like never talked to them one-on-one, -on -one. maybe Brandon Crawford or Buster Posey once or twice. And that's pretty much it. So now we're into the, like the zoom call, uh, interview period for uh, hopefully that, you know, and, and fairly soon, but uh, they don't know me. I don't know them. They're going to be like, who is this new person? Where's Henry? So that'll, that'll be a little weird, but you know, we're all in the same boat with that. Well, I mean, to be realistic, you know, this roster for the giants, you know, in two years is going to look a lot different. So the, the guys that you're dealing with this year, especially some main players where their contracts are coming up and uh, there's belief these guys won't be resigned when you start talking about Posey and Crawford and Belt. You know, the team you got this year may be completely different in 2022. Yeah, I, you know, that they've actually got some fairly significant, potentially, money coming off the books. Um, with Posey, I think there's an option for next year at $22 million. you got to think he probably comes back, but still... Uh, they're looking at some pretty major turnover here and they've built a pretty, from what I can tell, and I've really just started delving into my Giants uh, information here, but uh, they're starting to put together some pretty good young pieces. And knowing Farhan as well as I do and his ability, to, you know, which he got from the A's to find value uh, in unexpected places and look for some good deals. They've been slowly doing that. I mean, look what they did with Mike Yastrzemski uh, and, and several others that they, they've acquired in the last couple of years. So, uh, yeah, it'll be fun. And there's definitely some, there's some crossover there. Michael Holmes came from the A's too. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, but it's super bittersweet. It really is. I can't tell you how much the A's and A's fans and the whole organization has meant to me. And everybody's treated me just, so fabulously. I, I cannot thank everyone enough. Okay. You know, before the end of the year, Jeff Passan on ESPN.com really did a great article on, you know, pretty much the state of the game. And mm -hmm. you start to realize 
you know, whether we're going to play 162, which the players want, uh, you start to think, well, we may play around 140, 142, because that's how the, the teams are. We're now just not playing for the national TV money. Now we're playing f- for the local TV money. You know, there's the players union and the owners are so far from each other. There are so many teams that look like they don't want to win. I mean, you got major powers like the Red Sox and the Cubs who are basically telling you they don't want to win. They're basically going into a, you want to call it rebuild, retool, re whatever. I mean, there's not a lot of teams that are looking to go out and spin and win. I just think for the A's, this is kind of, you know, this is the pool they like to fish in. And if there's a lot of teams that don't want to win, well, so be it. Because I know Billy Bean and David Force want to win. Tell me the state of the A's before you get out of here. Where do you think they are in 2021? <laughs> well, you know what? They, they will need to spend something to be as competitive as they have been. And I don't know necessarily if their financial picture is particularly rosy right now either. I think what happens at shortstop is going to tell you a lot about where the A's are with using some of their resources or not. Now, they've got a good enough everyday lineup and a good enough rotation, and they're savvy enough at picking up quality relievers that I think that they can be in it, and they probably are a playoff team. I don't know how far they go beyond that because right now they're looking at, you know, big question marks at shortstop, second base. Uh, closer, I think they'll be okay. I think the be bullpen will be okay. But uh, a lot of key offensive players coming off of down years. That's throughout baseball, you know, and you yeah. can almost throw out this last season. But um, it's not a given. Uh, last year, I would have told you, yeah, the A's are absolute contenders. This coming year, I think we're going to tell from how they approach replacing some of these 10 free agents that they have. You know, Marcus Simeon is such an interesting case of where he is in his career his age, the kind of money that he wants. And when you really like just go to his baseball reference page, he had the one year where he hit a lot of home runs, then he hurt his wrist. He had one of the best years or maybe the best year we've ever seen from an Oakland A two years ago. But other than that, you really don't have the resume of someone who would get a 80 to $100 million contract. I know you talked with his agent, big expectations. We're not seeing big money thrown thrown around at all. Next year, there's a bunch of free agent shortstops. What do you think happens with Marcus Simeon? He might be the most interesting free agent out there for exactly the reasons you're saying. Now, he's coming off a down year. So many guys are. To me, you know, he's turned into a very reliable everyday shortstop. He never takes a day off. He's generally pretty healthy. He's that little side thing, mostly played through it, which also probably didn't help his numbers any. And he's also, you know, upstanding citizen, great uh, exemplary employee. You know, he's what a guy you want all your players to learn from. That gives him a little extra value too. If I'm the ace, I do everything I can to get him in on back on a two-year deal, maybe two years with an option, and I pay whatever it takes. I don't necessarily think they're going to do that. And I think somebody will throw some decent money at him. And you've seen some big name, name teams with some good resources talking about even moving him to second, which that's a little weird to me. I leave him at short. That's where a lot of his value comes. And he turned himself into that good, reliable, everyday shortstop. So uh, honestly, I cannot handicap at all what happens to Marcus Simeon. Uh, if, if teams throw out this past year offensively, I think he still makes pretty good money, but we have not really seen that market established yet. 
Yeah, I remember talking to his wife uh, as he showed up down in San Diego at the winter meetings. Obviously, Bay Area people, they want to stay in the Bay Area. And I just hope, Susan, and, and you're right, I don't think we can handicap anybody, to be honest with you, in this market. Mm-hmm. But but the fact that what we're hearing is teams view him as not a shortstop. And to me, if I'm Marcus Simeon, all the work that I've put in to make myself a shortstop, that's why I think at the end we could see a deal between the A's and Marcus Simeon because I don't think he wants to play second base or third base or go to left field. He views himself as a shortstop, and I think that helps the A's. Would you agree with that? 100%. Yeah, he is a shortstop. He is not. You know, if if I'm Joel Wolf, his agent, I'm, I'm talking to every team, no matter what, what position they're interested in. But if I'm Marcus, I'm, I'm just going to say, like, you know what? great go ahead and talk to them but i am not playing second base you know well let's let's focus really on these teams where uh we're realistically having a shot in it he's an everyday shortstop and there's just not that many really reliable quality everyday shortstops you know for somebody to be thinking about moving him to second base all right my prediction for susan slusser here is i see you going to san francisco i see you being on the giants beat but because of all your connections, I view you as potentially one of the next, I don't know in how many years, I see you as a national baseball writer. That's my prediction for you. Oh, that's nice. Um, you know what? That would be fun. I love being a beat writer. I absolutely love it. Um, you know, the only thing I've ever talked about doing besides that is being, you know, a, like a play-by-play announcer. So, you know, if somebody, somebody wants to hire me to do that, that that's what I would talk about. But national, I was a national NBA writer in Sacramento for a while. Man, that's actually a really, it's tough to stay on top of, you know, every single team in the league. And John Shea has been as good about at it as anyone in the country. And he's got this amazing knack for localizing national stories, which I think is the best way to do it. If you're working at a major metropolitan newspaper and I'm man he he is the absolute ideal as far as I'm concerned so I'm happy with him continuing to do that on your way out you got a final word for A's fans well you know like I said I'm not going very far um you guys all remain in my heart so I've got an absolutely huge soft spot for the whole fan base uh and uh, I will be keeping an eye on things for sure. And people can always still find me on Twitter at my email address at the Chronicle. Uh, and I'll be around. There's always interleague, there's spring training. Uh, and, and I'm looking forward to it. I'm not leaving the Bay area and I, I'd still love to talk to you, Tony, anytime you want to have me on. Well, I got to tell you, I don't think anyone's going to miss you as much as A's cast <laughs> for what you've done uh, for me all these years and what you did for me on 95, seven, the game, my children look up to you. Uh, You are going to be missed, but we're so happy for you. Good luck, and as you said, you're not going to be very far. You're always going to be loved here, and you're always going to be loved in this fan base. Oh, I love you guys. I love the Townsend girls, too, and you too, Tony. Happy New Year, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Tony. Bye. Well, we'd like to thank Dave Stewart, Bip Roberts, and Susan Slusser for coming on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. 
I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 